and do 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 as cowboys do and uh uh respect women first of all that's what arthur morgan taught me the, uh, about how cowboys are uh and uh uh you know trust our friends that's what being a cowboy is all about friendship women respecting uh maybe don't trust dutch vanderlyn so much maybe but everyone else you should trust yeah Anger, sexual lust, the sorts of things that you experience when you're playing a video game. All these concepts originated with Karl Marx. podcast consumers who love to consume the podcasts and they never stop no matter how much you beg them to stop you're listening to agab all gamers are bastards i'm your host k and i am joined as i always am when the stars align in this particular way kyle how you doing kyle it's uh it's good to be here on the uh the good podcast um that what you it, it k's right when the stars align uh, all of a sudden, you can look up in the sky, and it it makes the shape of the the GameCube startup thing do 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 in the stars, and then that that's how you know we're podcasting. That's uh, exactly how you know we make that happen. <laughs> we did that uh, with this show. Fear us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm doing well. Okay, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Um. I, I was just thinking that uh, we didn't talk about Boss Baby enough on, uh, <laughs> I, I think, the God of War episode it was. And uh, that, to me, I, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing from the listeners. They're sending me uh, emails. They're sending me letters. They're sending me messages on MySpace. And they're saying, we got to hear more about the Boss Baby, is what they're saying to me. Um <laughs> So that's why we we picked a, a news piece today that I think is going to really satisfy that that urge, that need really for more boss baby that everyone has. So Netflix, you know, Netflix, those guys, big red N. Uh the only people who can say the N-word and that N-word is Netflix. Netflix. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Keeping that bit in. Um <laughs> They uh, they said that they want to get into uh, producing video games, and they hired uh, an XEA guy, which is a very funny move to me. But um, more importantly, uh, if you want to get an indication of the quality that we can expect from these video games, Netflix uh, has the uh, they've done the Boss Baby TV show, which I understand that you've seen uh, a couple episodes of. Kyle, I was hoping you could tell us a bit about true darkness well the there's a there's something important to the the boss baby television show as a metaphor if anyone hears loud crashing in the background my dog is chewing a bone loudly because it's time to podcast uh that's right um there's like the boss baby tv show is bad um it, it and it's not it's not even bad in a way that you would expect if you've seen the boss, either the boss, first Boss Baby movie or the recently released Boss Baby 2, Back in Business, I believe is the uh, um, subtitle. I could be wrong. That's 
that's a pretty good subtitle. I gotta be honest. That's, I like that. <laughs> and uh, the new boss baby being voiced by Amy Sedaris, um, which I thought was funny. But uh, the 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 Netflix show is like you know that 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 thing that was making its way around Twitter and YouTube, where it's it's the kind of the very surreal, horrifying animation about this this really like cheap, sterile. And thus, completely horrifying, sort of medium of these like the the agents of corporations in the form of uh, infant children, human children. Um, they travel through space um, using magic pacifiers. They work at a corporation in the sky and also live with families on the Earth. And it's a uh, um, you know. What do we think the Boss Baby video game is going to be? My uh, sorry, magic magic pacifiers. Yeah. Is it like a teleportation? Yes, sort of thing. Yes. Or? Okay, it is. As a matter of fact, it's it's almost like an astral projection in the first film. <laughs> uh, the first film being still very horrifying, but a well made movie. Um, but with some, yeah, it's a. Uh, it's a. It has a. Ma- it's a magical realism, <laughs> is is how I would uh, describe it. Um, right. And, and as I will in the uh, in the essay that will be included with the Criterion Collection edition of Boss Baby. <laughs> that's right. That's coming soon yeah. as well. So keep an eye out for. It's got to be me. Who else are they going to ask to do that? It's going to be me. That's right. Okay, so <laughs> I feel like a Boss Baby video game would become. Um, Sort of like the Simpsons in the modern day would become like a vehicle for uh, celebrity cameos. Uh, mm. That would be my thinking. I think that they would have, they would use it to uh, launder the reputation of prominent, uh, uh, like uh, capitalist uh, sort of sort of public figures, like Elon Musk. I think there would be an Elon Musk boss baby. Mm. Dad, no. Elon Musk is possibly the greatest living inventor. Um, and and his whole thing would be that he he made all his money by himself and it had nothing to do with his parents. Michael um, Bloomberg, apartheid emeralds. Michael Bloomberg um, would appear in Boss Baby. Th- yeah, there'd be a Bloomberg Boss Baby. Um, you know, there's got to be a Jeff Bezos Boss Baby. Yeah. Um, and he his whole thing would be that he just lets everyone go to the bathroom whenever they need to, and it's no problem. It's not a big scene, you know. Yeah. That's his like main character trait. They're, they're all they're all a little bit one beat like that, but you know, there's a lot. You got to introduce a lot of boss babies, so you you can't spend too much time on on each of them. Um, and I, I think that's what it'll be. I think that's I think you're on to something here, especially with this sort of factionalization of the what bit. Well, it seems like so in the film, it is a. Uh, uh, Sort of the 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 economy in the Boss Baby film, and this is true, is all based off of love. And the Baby Corps, the corporation that makes babies in the sky, um, needs to compete on a market for a total share of love um, against animals and nature, I think, or something like that. Like mostly puppies, that's the main conflict in the film. Uh, is that someone who's in charge, who turns out used to be a former boss baby. Boss babies also stay babies forever, by the way. I keep glossing over that point by drinking a magic... Oh my god. By drinking a magic formula that keeps them babies. Um, what if, the fuck? Yeah, they, otherwise they they grow up 
and they forget about baby core and they become regular babies. They also refer to themselves as middle managers. That's like their ideal is to become a middle manager. (laughs) There's more to it. There's more to it. Um, This is fucked. uh, Yeah, I'm thinking that like the love economy causes several sort of sectoral splits in the sort of co- corporate overlo- overlords of baby core. I know, Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, it essentially becomes this sort of new gilded age of various baby core, core conglomerations that are competing in for, you know, larger and larger shares of the love market. Um, and so it, since it's EA, it can be like Command and Conquer, like a RTS game to where you ah. choose different factions. Um, or, and I prefer this, uh, uh, like a three-part space opera like Mass Effect, but with the Boss Baby universe. Um, <laughs> that's my preference. I can also be hired to write it. I can write it. Um, this podcast can <laughs> just write it. Yeah, yeah, we, we got it. Yeah. We got this. We, we'll we do it do for it. like way less than you'd hire like a, a real writer. Don't even worry. Yeah. We got you. Yeah. We're undercutting the competition right now. We're getting in. <laughs> so Netflix is going to make that. Um. <laughs> yeah, that's confirmed. You heard it here first. That's what they are making. They're hiring us. It's 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 a big, it's a big career um, moment for the two of us. We've always wanted to write the Boss Baby video game. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, Kyle has like uh, has has done a PhD in in Boss Baby. Um, he's he's sort of the foremost Boss Baby scholar. Me, I'm a little more of an autodidact when it comes to Boss Baby scholaring, you know. Um, but I, I consider myself still pretty qualified to to write. Um, and and of course, we got a lot of really good advisors on the wings. Uh, we've got a lot of real world Boss Babies. Um, we've got the the weird child version of Hillary Clinton from that book, Along Came Hillary. Um, she's going to be advising us. <laughs> is that the name of that book? <laughs> I I think it is. Maybe I hope so because it's a great. The, name it was like that it. weird children's book that was just like Along Came Hillary. Her, oh, she's doing a feminism. Did Chelsea write it? Awful. Because I know that's like what she does. Hold on, Along Came. Hillary. Uh, that one of the interactive specials that Netflix made was a Boss Baby interactive special. So technically, one of the first gaming things that Netflix do- has done has been in the Boss Baby universe. That is actually true. Oh my god. <laughs> okay, no, it's called Hillary Rodham Clinton. Some girls are born to lead by Michelle Markle. Disappointing. That, that uh, um. Well, it's called Along Came Hillary now, uh, but... It's called Along Came Hillary. It has 4.1 <laughs> stars on Amazon. You fucking hogs. What are you doing? They're, they're girl bossing by consuming consuming uh, literature written by corporate monsters, <laughs> probably. Holy Jesus, fuck. Hold, sorry, let me, let me just derail us a minute to yeah, read the no. description on this, the product description. Yeah. In the 1950s, it was a man's world. Girls weren't supposed to act smart, tough, or ambitious, even though deep inside they may have felt that way. And then along came Hillary. Brave, brilliant, and unstoppable. She was out to change the world. 
They said a woman couldn't be a mother and a lawyer. Hillary was both. <laughs> it's true. They're always saying women can't be mothers. Yes. Saying that's impossible. <laughs> foolish. Um, they said a woman shouldn't be too strong or too smart. Hillary was fearless. It didn't matter what people said. She was born to lead. And that's why she's currently the president, guys. Yes. <laughs> this is fucking awesome because I believe this came out um, before she lost that election. Uh, yeah, I'm see, sure. Illustrated 5th of January 2016. Yeah, so this was all part of her, uh, of the, the propaganda campaign that was, like, fermenting around her to position this you know just awful like fucking right-wing corporate democrat as as like a hero of 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 progressive politics and and women's liberation uh despite having absolutely no credentials to that end under her belt <laughs> we have to bring them to heel so yeah they wrote like a weird kids book which is is fitting because that's the uh, you would have to sort of have that level of understanding of the world to buy it yeah there's a like whole there's a whole like industry out of like like politicians in the United States right like talking about themselves or people talking about them. It I think like Barack Obama is about to release like his third like memoir or autobiography or something like three books all time. How many of those how many like autobiographies can you release before you say it's too many autobiographies? And so like Yeah. More it, than one feels pretty psychotic, <laughs> unless there's a long gap between the first and second one, you know. It just really you've got, you've got new life to write about. It's like it, it's it's a level of self importance that I'm not comfortable with. But you know, I just do appreciate how uh Hillary and Bill set out to you know, do as capitalists do and change the world by incarcerating more people in the United States and propagating an uh, interventionist foreign policy uh, by voting to authorize things like the Iraq War and all of the really, you know, expansion of the, you know, Obama era tech imperialist state in the drone program and encouraging no fly zones over. Um, you know, basically just like doing real girl boss stuff that everyone should try. Yeah, <laughs> you should all try it. You should all do that. You should all do engage in imperialism all the time. <laughs> I mean, I just like it's not to be too much of a like Marxist shitlord about the whole thing. We all know the drill, but it's just it's you know. People really are overcoming so much adversity at their, you know, private liberal arts colleges and Yale Law School and, you know, at like the center of the levers of power in various places and uh, positions across the U.S. government, you know, is really inspiring to, you know, working people who are <laughs> just trying to uh, pay you know, $1,400 a month for a one-bedroom apartment that's sandwiched between two construction yards. Yeah. Just, it's, you know, go go us. When, what's the, what would the Hillary Clinton video game be? Um, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, boy. The Hillary Clinton video game would be one in which you 
you try to okay so so it starts with hillary um pr- probably as like a teenager and it goes through her life um and she's constantly in the background of like prominent sort of moments in in women's liberation and she's actively working against them but when they succeed despite her um you have an opportunity to uh to kind of like maneuver yourself into a position where you now kind of are taking credit for it <laughs> um where you can be like oh yeah i was there so you know and just don't like uh, elaborate any further or if you've put enough points into into your bluff skill perhaps you can you can straight up <laughs> just like lie about what you were doing and go into specifics um i think that would be kind of the game it would be sort of like an espionage sort of like dialogue based um sort of game where you've got to like navigate these branching trees of people you know, people trying to stop feminism by being like, no, Hillary, we saw you. You were cutting the brake lines of this prominent organizer. And she'll be like, oh, no, I was helping her car out. You know, um, and that would be the game, I think. I've, one of the top reviews for her book on Amazon is by Dustin. It's a five-star review. And it reads, I gave this to my uber-conservative Trump-supporting brother-in-law. The humor was lost on him. Like a true zealot, he used it in a campfire as kindling. So I think that's great. Yeah, I think they. I think you really proved your point, Dustin. <laughs> let me know. Let me know what that was. Besides uh, pissing off and emboldening someone who's probably already an unspeakable asshole. Um, yeah, by consuming your way to owning the right wing. Seems like effective yeah. strategy. Yeah, he he doesn't come out of that one looking too good. <laughs> Dustin, man, oh what are you doing? <laughs> Dustin. Don't do that. I gotta stop reading these reviews. A lot of them refer to her as a modern-day feminist hero. Okay, <laughs> cool. Yeah, uh, a woman with a, like, a powerful position in society isn't automatically a feminist, you little fucking freaks. Jesus. She's literally a Clinton. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, like there's really I don't know what kind what kind of feminism is it when you're uh leading a a dynastic political family? You know, like it's the same as like Barbara Bush's feminism. Yeah. Like Fucking it's man. yeah, that's I I don't miss that election. No, I feel like that election was kind of um uh a pivotal moment for like liberal feminism. I feel like it really fermented itself as uh, a truly insane and like reactionary ideology um, throughout like the 2016 election. And I think that um, it really sort of drew this line in the sand between like a, a bourgeois liberal feminism and any other feminism, which I think is good. Um, I think they, they made it very clear what their deal is. You can still see these people running around going, it's, it's feminism that Kamala Harris is, is, is in office. Um, and uh, I, I think that they, they now basically walk around with big, blowing big bullhorns so that everyone else knows, oh, you're not like a serious person um, <laughs> when it comes to any, anything like political so I can avoid you. And I think that's, uh, there's probably some utility to that. I think that there's been similar things with other like uh, political kind of fractures, whether it be uh, things within the labor party or whether it be um, responses to, to things like, like the, the, uh, the, the like 
the pro-U.S. protests in Cuba right now, things like that, where there's these things where everyone who's, like, kind of full of shit exposes themselves immediately by being like, I support the Cuban people and their love for democracy, when there's, like, <laughs> just 50 freaks with American flags running around going like, yeah, USA. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, as much as, as things like that are fucking mind-numbing, I think that uh, anything where, where people kind of section themselves off as unhelpful idiots, I think there's there's utility in that. Yeah, it saves some time. Yeah. So I totally derailed our important boss baby analysis. I'm so sorry. Whatever. No, it's like <laughs> it all relates to see, this is all related to Netflix. That's true. Hillary's gonna have a Netflix show at some point. Does she have a Hulu documentary? Like a oh my god. Or parter or something like that. No fucking way. I'm really? Sure, I mean pretty sure, yeah. Uh, don't debase yourself by watching that, listener. If you just heard about that now, don't not even for the cringe. Just just play a fucking video game. Play the Boss Baby video game. That will degrade you less. Yeah, go go play the Netflix <laughs> Boss Baby interactive special. Uh, it's probably sh- yeah. I'm sure it's shorter. God, I would definitely watch yeah. that documentary series. <laughs> I'd, I'd watch every second of it. I may do that at some point. We'll report back. Oh my God. If I do. Okay. I won't, so we can maybe do an episode where, like, you explain it to me, and I just <laughs> sit here in fucking horror. Um. <laughs> Alright, so, yeah, Netflix is doing the Boss Baby. Um, I don't think we know anything about actual games that they're doing, but uh, game streaming platforms like Stadia have been thriving and doing so well, so I'm sure it'll go great for Netflix. What a <laughs> genius idea. Um... Anyway, speaking of uh, you know video games, we could we could maybe talk about a video game that's good. I don't think anyone could stop us from doing that. We're on a roll um, with the good. We're ones. on a roll. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we we done Celeste and God of War, and uh, what did we do before God of War? Bla- after after God of War, we did Blasphemous. Yeah, if you're listening to this, Blasphemous is out. Don't worry. Don't get scared. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Celeste, God of War. Um, before that, we did like Sea Salt and a bunch of Lovecraft games. Before that, we did Hades. Before that, we did Final Fantasy VII Remake. Well, okay. we haven't done a bad game since the Tenants, which was Episode Ten. I think we got. I think we traumatized ourselves by we just going want to do for good it. games now. Uh, no, we can, we'll 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 mix it back in. But in the meantime, I think it's time to talk about some cowboys. <laughs> That's right. Come on down to Dutch Vanderlyn's uh, Good Crime Plan Emporium. That's right. We're we're cowboys. We're talking about Red Dead Redemption the Second, the Ballad of Dutch Vanderlyn and his quest for mangoes. And uh, uh, where did he? There was a place he always said they were gonna go. I don't remember. I don't remember either. Damn it, I didn't brush up on my, my Red Dead memes before this. What a fucking fool. Yeah, we've, we've already um, lost before we got... I was I was spending all that time thinking about the fucking uh, panic of 1893 and forgot to look at memes. You fool! Yeah. <laughs> Rookie mistake. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so yeah, Red Dead 2 is, of course, Rockstar's, uh, the, the good game they made. Um, they don't do a lot of that. Uh, and, and this game really stood out to me and, and was something I wanted to talk about because it's not for everyone, um, I don't think, but, uh, oh, Tahiti. It's Tahiti. Uh. Tahiti. We're going to be eating mangoes on Tahiti. Just you wait. That's it. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it's a game that's not for everyone because it's, it's, it allows itself to, in a lot of ways to really sort of feel out its own, what it's trying the it's trying to put you in a certain state of mind i guess is what i'm trying to say and that's why a lot of people don't like it uh a lot of people cite everything being very slow um like when you're skinning an animal you don't just do a little animation and then the pelt appears in your fucking inventory you go through this long laborious skinning and then you you pull the fucking hide off and then you're carrying it probably and you gotta go, like, put it on your horse or something. Um, and I think that's all part of what makes the game great, but I can see how you'd bounce off it. Um, is it's, it's about taking it slow. It's about really getting into this world. And I think the word immersion is really abused uh, in, like, talking about video games, but that is what it's about. It's, um, it's just about, like, riding around on your fucking horse. And, like, you see something, you think, oh, yeah, the camp needs meat. Let me go do that. And it's... It's the closest approximation I've seen to like being um uh to, to being out in the woods or to hunting in real life. It's a very slow and very peaceful for the most part sort of uh thing. You don't just quickly go through it like uh you might expect to in a Rockstar game. Um so I think that's led a lot of people to bouncing off it, but I think it's really really effective and it really you enjoy being Arthur Morgan, which is, is I think, makes things that happen later in the game a lot more impactful. Uh, because what really makes this amazing, uh, or makes it amazing that Rockstar made this fucking game, is that, like, it, the writing's pretty fucking good. There's some really compelling characters. It is good, isn't it? Yeah. How, how, did, you, how did you find uh, just, like, the story in this game, Kyle? Because, like, I, when you compare it to, like, gta games it's fucking it's it's fucking shakespeare like it's amazing <laughs> oh yeah in comparison to like three different guys all named tony yelling dialogue lines over each other and then like i'm just like gesturing like doing strong <laughs> gestures because their character yeah. models are so weird looking and then this very like very american in terms of its literary sensibility very gentle storytelling that's still, you know, cowboys and gunfights and stuff. Um, it has this, like, texture and tension to it. There's been, we have been talking about, and I've been thinking about, we've been talking about doing an episode, uh, which I imagine we'll do, I'm almost done with it, uh, on The Last of Us, and I won't yeah. get into it. I'm going to write about it as well. Um Patreon.com slash labor Kyle if you want to see it early. Uh, and talking about the sort of tensions between natural and material environments, um, material in like an industrial sense. Um, the tension between the the creations and the progress of mankind in terms of technology, in terms of the social world, and the persistence and sort of like 
chaotic, like sort of beyond our like that's sort of like the the way that the natural world works so much beyond on our sense of understanding and how we describe it. It has a chaos to it that like it's it's interesting for Red Dead Redemption Two to center itself on the uh, making it a prequel was making it a prequel was the greatest idea that the creators of this game could have ever had because it takes you to the very end of the 19th century where even the, the this is after the sort of the peak years for what we think of as like cowboy culture and the sort of wild untamed west would be in mm-hmm. the 1860s um and by the time the 1890s had come around the sort of late industrial revolution that came to the united states really started popping off and there was already these periods of economic panic um like in 1893 and then these sort of ruptures and responses to the forces of production and the labor movement so i'm thinking like the railroad strike of 1877 what we call the great upheaval that went basically as far west as the U.S. had gone at that point, and then down south and back around again in this sort of rupture of sort of like violent struggle, and then it, the response between federal the the co- the coalescing elements of capital coming together to respond to events like this, and eh, which like our federal troops and independent militias and later. You know, private police forces like Pink the Pinkertons as well, which mm-hmm. all, a lot of this stuff pops up in Red Dead Redemption. It's a game that's really aware of its setting because these like sort of outlaw characters, and we'll talk about like you know cowboy strike action or something here after or another point. But um, this game was being made by Rockstar. It was never going to star like the sort of what you could call worker hero, proletarian heroes of the day necessarily, but where it kind of like rubs up against like a, a more liberal understanding of the sort sort of like becoming the bootstrapping self-reliant individual, like the family was kind of doing in the first Red Dead Redemption game, which is a game that's I really liked, but has a considerable less amount of depth than its prequel. Its yeah. prequel is like unbel it is a it is an opera to a like fourth grade play stage play in comparison (laughs) it really is like i mean there's a reason why rockstar was just like okay everyone just makes this game now like (laughs) all of our gigantic studios like we're all just gonna make this game uh and it's because it they worked really hard to sort of ground to, to to allow you to look into the tensions between the increasing industrial production and the consolidation of capital in that time, the ruptures that occurred alongside and on the outskirts, and in general, the sort of like manifestations of different types of experience, um, including from like, you know, like oddly liberal, like in terms of like equality and fraternity for all kind of gangs of outlaws, like the cast of this game. Or like the various other sort of characters that you meet along the way who embody the very sort of like Americana values of literature that like self-sufficiency, a a sort of communalism uh, that 
really is about like reflection on what you want to do and how you want to, you know, incorporate yourself. A lot of people just want to be left alone. Um, these sort of like, you know, very, you know, easy to interrogate and sort of pick apart ideas, but apart ideas that had a really big impact on people in that like, mm-hmm. It comes out, it reminds me of other games to where you're enforced to engage with the environment like The Last of Us, a game where you're in a quarantine part of Boston that has become derelict. And so you have the violent tensions of um, Last of Us, I guess, is more realistic and applicable to our contemporary moment in the sense that the sort of natural world feels like, you feel very boxed in by potential for abject climate catastrophe and things like that to where there are these points of tension that appear in these, you know, people who have been affected and who are biting other people and, you know, consuming human flesh. And then every once in a while you have this sort of moment where you walk outside of a door and you're in this alley trying to inevitably, inevitably probably find a fucking dumpster to jump on top of and climb something. To where it's just, it's quiet and you see bits of green popping out through the sort of ruins of the city. And then you kind of pick through the things around you to figure out what you need to keep moving forward. Yeah. And it's like, those tensions are really important in storytelling when you're going to do something as historical as like, say, Red Dead Redemption is. That it's, it's quiet, sort of thoughtful characteristics as a very like... American literary sensibility to me that I find uh, compelling. It's a good story. Very, very good yeah. story. And it must have been so tempting early on to set it during like the, the 60s, like the 1860s, the yeah. peak of, of the sort of like the cowboy time. Um, and, and just had to be like a, a more like fun, you know, a Western crime sort of thing. Mm-hmm. But like, the uh, to me it shows an incredible restraint to yeah. say okay that's the rock star thing to do but no no we're going to set it during really the decline of this way of life and everything everything that happens in this game is going to be surrounded by this this kind of unspoken ticking clock yeah. um like uh dutch's gang uh the the fact they're being pursued by the pinkertons uh, it's just like you know the pinkertons almost represent the inevitability of sort of what's coming yeah. in america um it, it constantly just at the heels of, of this basically relic from a previous generation which is what dutch's gang is and of course that mirrors arthur who is uh as you find like i don't know two-thirds of the way through the game is fucking dying um and so it, it's the exact same thing for him just like the sort of ideal of the western outlaw he is gonna be gone soon and he needs to uh sort of figure out how he's going to contend with that and what sort of person he wants to be in his in his sort of final moments um and i think that the fact that he knows he's gonna die whereas i guess a lot of other people are kind of in denial about the fact that like their way of things is coming to an end i think gives him this sort of clarity of mind to part part in the the use of the word but to find some kind of redemption you know um and i think that's that's sort of the core idea and i think they do a great job at marrying like the historical ideas they're exploring with the thematic ideas of the story and like 
just what's happening to their main character. Like, I think I feel like those all tie together so fucking nicely in this game. It's just really well written. Yeah, it's important for them to like. It also has this like through line into its mechanics, which I know is something that we, you and I, when we had discussed bringing the game up, how, and you, you talked about earlier, there is a like, there's an important care to the way that there's these small little additions to say like firearms fire and load differently based off of the type of firearm that you were using. Um, mm-hmm. They do have a sense of like, it has a sense of realism to it, a, a sense of form to it, I guess that allows it to like, that definitely captures in some way that another, other games don't quite as well. The, oh man, you, you know, what's the perfect game that does this bad, uh, does this poorly far cry. The far cry series <laughs> has any time to re- to rag on the games that I cannot stop playing for some reason I have now oh. I started playing four because it right. came in a bundle and it was going to cost like three dollars and I'm like it, I've played on shitty pirated copies before but I'm just like no I'll put down a couple of bucks on some garbage and because I, I know I'm going to play every single second of it and what Far Cry does is it flattens out all of those it is very imperialistic in its experiences while like if we're using the same metaphor for something like red dead redemption it's more colonial red dead redemption would be more colonialist in its sort of like the rhythms of a prairie based life or a ri- the rhythms of a rural based life which was essentially what a lot of settler colonists did um and that is a, that's an additional sort of like point of examination that this game does that places itself in conversation with history and examines the various threads, continuities, and tensions that came with sort of like that. I mean, there's a lot of there there is there's costs that the game sort of bears out in terms of the change and how people experience change in general. That like rather than Far Cry, which is a game that sort of like drops you into a combat zone, basically. And you can already do all of this amazing stuff, and then you can get like magic to do that, all that <laughs> stuff, tattoo magic to do all that stuff better, whatever. This yeah, like game, in real life. It, yeah, much much more realistic. This game, this game has a uh, a rhythm to it, just as you were describing earlier. That makes it feel. There's a lot of different fish that you can catch. There's a lot of different types of weapons and firearms include you can use bow and arrows uh you can like there's a there's there's a weight and a texture to all of the things that you're doing in between all of the story that feels much more uh patient and thoughtful than literally anything rockstar has ever done um besides this game like including the first Red Dead game, yeah, and re- including Revolver, including Redemption One, it's just different, you know. Yeah, Red Dead One, I liked it when it came out, but it was very much like GTA Cowboys. Yeah, it was I, I, even at the time I would have said because I think it came out 
after GTA 4, but before 5, I think. Yes. I would have said, like, yeah, this, you know, th- there's there's a bit more writing chops on display here than we saw in, like, GTA 4. But, you know, it's still a Rockstar game, is how I would have described yeah, it. I could remember some of the story. I don't remember the story from Grand Theft Auto. Uh, the story of GTA 4 is you are a Bosnian named Nico who really wants to go bowling with his That's cousin true. Roman. And lots of lots of dubious individuals... Um, uh, they they get between you and and this bowling game that you're trying to have, and so you just got to fucking shoot them all. I'm pretty sure that's the story. Yeah. Um, but in Red Dead Two, um, yeah, like we we we've big we've upped this a lot. You know, we've bigged it up uh, as as sort of Rockstar, as as something that's like way better than they usually do. Uh, if I if I could point to one, if I could point to one thing that they didn't develop uh as, as much as they could have it would definitely be like the combat and a lot of the combat oriented missions for mm-hmm. me because it's still this very uh this very gta feeling like you're gonna get into a big shootout and shoot like fucking 30 guys um i think that the one thing i would have changed that i think would have fully sort of brought this game together um would be if combat was a lot more like a lot more slow and tense, but with yeah. far fewer people. If it was a kind of thing where it's like, if you get shot once or twice, you're fucking dead. Yeah. Likewise for everyone else. And so it's a lot more about like these tense standoffs and waiting to see what the other guy's going to do and reacting to that um, rather than just like big, you know, GTA style shootouts. I think that could have been like, I-, I think that would have fit in with the way the rest of the game feels. Cause it's very, it's very, slow and takes its time with everything and and really sort of brings you into it um so there's one mission where you uh you go to a town where there's like two families who are sort of uh, at each other's throats and and dutch tries to play both sides that way he always ends up on top um and it it, it fucks up and he ends uh, you and the gang end up fighting basically a whole family and burning down their big manor and there's tons of fucking people and it just it felt like it felt like they felt that the game needed like an a big set piece action beat at that point like it didn't feel like it should have gone like that at all <laughs> um and it's a shame because there's way more powerful moments in the game like when um Dutch like kills oh, I'm trying to remember what his deal is he's like this crime boss guy or something um he might even be have been like a banker or something but he, he kills this guy by basically feeding him to the fucking crocodiles in, in in the swamp or gators is it crocs or gators that Florida has gators gators all right yeah so he feeds this guy to the gators um who like they had captive and like i for one think that's based get him uh but that's where arthur starts to be like all right this is maybe getting a little extreme for me (laughs) (laughs) and that is a way more powerful scene than like i'm doing a big shootout yeehaw like it's um yeah you can see those bits of 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 rockstar feeling like they don't trust the player i guess to not get bored if they don't have something like that. And I think that I can't say they're totally wrong. Cause like I said before, a lot of people I know who just don't like this game, it's because of, of how slow paced a lot of things are. They just found it. They couldn't get into it for whatever reason. They just found it like tedious. Um, so maybe they're right, but I'm, I'm always going to favor fully committing to the bit, you know, 
it's hard, you know, it's easy to say when I'm not, you know, spending millions of dollars on a big AAA <laughs> game, but you know, you're not going to fuck it. You can't make a game that's going to please everyone. And generally when people try, it doesn't go well. Um, so I think that's one thing that could have really, really elevated this game because everything else about it, I think is, is very good. It has this, like, I, I actually, I completely agree. And the reason why I do, it relates directly to sort of what, I, what I like most about the environmental storytelling, uh, of the game itself. It's very, so I've been watching for, for something that I'm working on probably for YouTube. I haven't decided exactly yet, but I think it's going to be the like kind of part three. I've ended up kind of just randomly writing these spur of the moment sort of semi-autobiographical um, theory essays, I guess I would call it, to where I just kind of talk about my own views on the theory, theories of history. And the, fir I, the first one for people who don't watch my YouTube channel, if you're listening to this and you don't, you probably should. It's related to- Yeah, how dare you? Nonsense. You go watch that. You go it's, now. It's, it reminds, <laughs> it's, it's a lot like the nonsense that I ramble on about on this very podcast. But the first one sort of examines- how, you know, uh, a, sen a sense of idealism in the vein of German romanticism contributes to a theory of history. The second one um, sort of takes a similar approach to this at, from uh, like oral historical traditions and history from below. And the third one, I, I'm interested in talking about experience. Um, I kind of got into this in the second one too. And it reminds me because I've been watching a lot of Terrence Malick films. And I'm a big fan of Terrence Malick's work um, in the way that he is able to um, use the natural world and the sort of like epiphenomenal stuff around the natural world. If that's God, if that's, you know, if it's God, it's not, a, it's not the God that anyone's talking about because it's probably something that exists beyond language that we could use to describe such a thing. Um, and how this sort of like very biblical connections between that part of the world and then the corporeal world and then the world of human beings and the way that we, you know, socialize and live our lives and how we're sort of every once in a while at odds with one another. My cat is climbing the couch next to me right now with it. Otis, <laughs> I'm trying to talk about existentialism. Uh, God. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, um, basically, well, basically, what I'm getting to is that the like, there's a patience and a like a, a, a quiet tension in a film like Badlands, uh, or in Days of Heaven, or in The Tree of Life in particular, where the the sense of the natural world comes into tension in conversation with the individual lives of people and how these interfere with stuff related to police and. Uh, you know, the armed forces, always these, like, sometimes very loud, sometimes very quiet characters in the back of Terrence Malick's work that exist as part of the conversation between the natural world and the social world. And Red Dead misses it when, when it, when it becomes Grand Theft Auto, it can't explore the sort of quiet tensions of that that end up in gunfights sometimes, in chases with the police a uh, conflict with, you know, officers of federal agencies all exist in this sort of like, you know, 
brutalizing space of uh, rural parts of the United States and how this is just like, it's a, it's a, there's a lot of interesting places to be explored in those areas of thought. But uh, God, yeah, I just hear my dog drinking. I got to get out of an apartment. <laughs> Listener, I need to get out of an apartment. Go to my Patreon. There's too many creatures. There's too many <laughs> creatures and they're all doing stuff. You can't, you can't keep them contained. I can't talk about all of the cool phenomenology I want to talk about because people are need to. But you know, I think you get what I'm saying. The the gunfights, the obnoxious GTA stuff, it gets in the way of like the hunting, more hunting, more of an emphasis more on hunting. hunting, less of an emphasis on big old shootouts. Yeah, yeah, it's those quiet moments in nature, and then also uh, it, it's it's some really good characters. Um, I I absolutely love um Dutch himself as a character because he he does something that very few writers i think are either ready to accept that that a character can do or willing to try to write which is he can believe two contradictory things at once yeah he and he he will not be lying like there later in the game you come across there's like a, a settlement of natives who are being really fucked with by um the you know the the army basically and uh one of their head guys his son i believe um wants to go and fight them pretty much and 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 dude's like no that's they're just gonna come fucking massacre us all if you do that don't go stirring up more shit um and dutch finds that it is in see dutch has at, at that point made it very clear that he uh you know he doesn't agree uh, with like what's being done, he doesn't agree with the genocide of Native Americans. He doesn't agree with colonialism. Like he's made it very clear that like this is all he is opposed to what's happening here. But he has also found that it is in his interest to convince this guy's son to, or well, you know, to to egg him on a bit to go and start this fight because that will be good for Dutch. You know, he can simultaneously, um, and I, I would compare this to um. To Knives Out. Knives Out is a really good movie because it has, uh, it has a young woman who is uh, made out to be some kind of like leftist. They keep it vague, but when you know when her interest comes into it, she's in line with the most reactionary elements of of like the rich family that she belongs to in that movie. And there's a very similar thing here where it's like, no, he he, you know, he doesn't. He's not like a, a raging racist. He's he's clearly angered by the injustice of what's happening to these people. But he will fuck them over for his benefit. That's the kind of guy he is. But it doesn't mean that he doesn't believe the first thing also. And I think that is that is something that's so rare in storytelling, where a character's beliefs and actions, they just don't have to always line up 100%, because that's how real people are. Real people do shit like that all the time. And just just by doing that, they make him, to me anyway, so much more compelling of a character, and it's so much more interesting Especially as as he and and uh, you know the main character you play Arthur Morgan uh, uh, grow apart and a wedge keeps sort of growing between them because you can never really hate the guy like he's not a bad guy he's just doing what's you know in his fucking interest and that's you know that's not the most villainous thing anyone's ever done even though he does do some pretty fucking dark shit uh, you always feel like you kind of get where he's coming from and not in like a lazy way but in a like you understand this man kind of yeah. way, you know? Yeah. Cause he's, I think that's awesome. He's supposed to, he's a version of ourselves 
who is living something of an examined life and attempts to, in his position, in a sense of leadership and a sense of duty, um, principle himself. And, and allowing there, a game, a game that does this really well allows it to, that uh, the word for today is tension. That tension within <laughs> uh, their, like, their need to provide for other people, their just selfish, any element of their sense of self that is selfish and sort of acts despite, you know, knowledge of what should or should not be done and, so, you know, ethics or what have you. So, like, a character who has the complexity needed to demonstrate and allow that to reflect actual sort of lived human experiences, I think is is the perfect sort of way to describe it. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's done so again in a very historically grounded sense in which it's, those are very, the the, the values are liberal enlightenment values. And these are value, like, in the, I spend a lot of time reading about ascetic traditions in religion. So um, the way that p- religious people throughout history have um, placed various restrictions and restraints on their, you know, the way they live their lives, their dress, their behavior, their, you know, like whether or not they speak sometimes. And uh, I rewatched this uh, documentary recently called Integrate Silence. That it's a two, it's like a two and a half hour documentary about uh, silent Catholics, um, ascetic. Basically, they live in silence in this uh, castle in uh, or monastery in uh, um, rural France. And they represent this extreme of the things that all of us do in attempting to try and either better ourselves or, you know, be better to other people or live a more examined life to be, to go very sort of like to the fundamentals of philosophical thinking and uh, in the Western tradition in particular. And uh, that's what, uh, that's what the gang is trying to do. It's a various, it's a collection of self-interested parties who um, are living on various margins of the type of society that they're in um, and who understand one another's position and in conversation with other people's position, in this case, a more stratified sense of class that came with the 18th and 19th centuries and the industrial revolutions that happened during them. There's so much value in being able to sort of tell a story like that. Um, not to wax too poetically about the game, but that's just one thing that it really gets right, um, mm-hmm. is sort of its sense of history and the sense of thought within history. It's intellectual history, if you will. Um, it's subdiscipline that I'm quite fond of in the field. What did you think of the... Um the very long uh, for what it is epilogue segment where you uh, you play as John and you build a house with the boys and you go and you get Micah and, and you do all of that. Well, we worked so hard to build a little house together. I think it has like, I don't know. So there wasn't, 
Was there an epilogue in the first? Yeah, in the, in the first game, you, you, I think you play as John's, like, son. James. Yeah. Whatever his fucking name is, yeah. <laughs> James Marston, yeah. Yeah, um, I didn't care for that so much. And I've got mixed feelings about it in, in Red Dead 2 as well. But um, yeah. I find, like, it has this sort of, like, sad inevitability to, to it. It has this it has this sense of like settling in that I that was really the topic of the entire first Red Dead game. Uh which is that like, you know I, I'm 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 more compelled by the exit of a great story than the settling in after, you know like the 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 dust the dust has you know like you know, there is there's an there's an implication in the survival and perseverance of a family that you're going to learn that f- that fathers will learn how to be fathers and mothers will learn how to be mothers, and if you're going to be a farmer or a rancher, you'll learn how to ranch and you'll learn how to farm. In terms of mechanics like that, I love that life building shit. So put it in the fucking game if you're gonna put it in the fucking game. <laughs> but please, just put the put that shit in the game. I'll just sit around and farm. I mean, I found it... All right, so the ending of Arthur's story is, is one of the most, like, beautiful moments in any video game I've ever played. Yes. Um, and I think a big part of it... I kind of got this with uh, a couple of uh, beats in The Witcher 3 as well. Uh, it's just a symptom of it being such a long fucking game. Yeah. Um, and that's part of why I, I don't really like the epilogue so much, because it's like, this... Come on, I put so... It's done. I, let me leave. Um, right past the ending, yeah. Yeah, but um, like no, it's an incredible ending, and it really resonates after spending so much time with Arthur and, and going on this whole journey with him. Um, so it's really, it's kind of. I, I think I had to stop for a, a couple days. I think I had to like take a break from the game because it's such a, a, a an emotional whiplash to go from this like incredible emotional climax to like, all right, well, I'm John Marston. I'm working on a farm, and it's just like what. The fucking no roll credits. The game is fucking over. I'm not working on a farm. Fuck off. Um, like the the epilogue starts really slow. Like some interesting things happen as it goes on, but you're just like you're just like a ranch hand yep. on some fucking farm for a couple days, and it's just like fuck. It's so weird. Um, yeah, I I did put it down for for a few days um, before coming back to it to finish it because I was just like, this is no the the game is over. I've I'm fully satisfied with my experience. I did not, I did not need more. But um, one thing it does add that I thought was really interesting is Arthur kind of, if you pick like the good, if you make like the good guy decisions, which I, I think you're out of your mind if you don't, I think it, the trajectory that Arthur is on personally, yeah. uh, I think it works way better with, with how, you know, how the story makes sense. To me, that is like canonically what makes sense. But um, basically he's part of, uh, you know he's dying anyway, but a, a part of him sacrificing himself uh, in in the end is so that John can live and have a family. Like he wants Arthur wants to save one kind of beautiful thing in this fucking world uh, before he goes out of it uh, after a life of mostly just like shooting dudes. Um, so it would have been really easy just to have that be like, yeah, John goes off and happily ever after. But it's interesting because. Some, I mean, if you played the first game, you know that John doesn't exactly live to a ripe old age. Um, I don't remember if his wife also is killed 
I don't I don't remember that. Oh well. <laughs> she um yeah, she's not uh like a super present character I don't think in in the first game, but she's she's a pretty big character in the second game. So it's a shame. I feel like they tried to retroactively like do more with her as well. Yeah, uh, they, hash, they hashtag feminism rockstar for her. Um <laughs> brave of them to retroactively make Abigail a person yeah. rather than sort of they uh uh, it really was it. It it really, hey, to give credit where credit is due, there is a there are like the things that are wrong with the first game are really not, except for some elements of the combat, are really mm-hmm. not the things that are wrong with the second game. They saw they no, they solved like, a lot of problems. Let's yeah. let's make let's make this better. We know we know how to fix it clearly, which is like really yeah impressive. It's- Always. It's it's so cool. Like uh, I I'm always kind of happy for people when they get to like return to a project and be like, how can we make this even better? You know what what were our weaknesses last time? How can we just fucking like? And uh, that's how Red Dead Two feels. Like they just touched up everything just right. Um, but uh, yeah, the the fact that Arthur made that sacrifice and the fact that you know that John um dies to me actually makes it a lot more interesting. Especially because you get to see him trying to have a normal life, and throughout the epilogue, his attempts to have a normal life, just the his sort of you know his life as an outlaw, just keep bleeding into it, and you can never fully get away from it. Yeah, um, which is the whole RDR one thing was basically yeah, the whole exactly. theme of the game. And I think that between, I, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure on how the whole timeline works out, but I think that John ultimately gets like twenty years. I think. Or maybe 10? I don't remember how old his kid is. But I would say 10, 15 years of just like relatively peaceful life with his family before he dies. And I, I think, think it's that 12, is... 12 years beforehand. 12? 12? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, And I remember at first I was like, Jesus, Arthur's dying for that? But then like as as time kind of went on, it really occurred to me. He's like, you know what? That's That's a life. You know, 12 good fucking years? Like, that's not... It's not a long life, but uh, like it counts. Yeah, you know, it's uh, Arthur didn't like the 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 premise of John going and getting to have a normal, happy life with his family isn't invalidated because they don't all like you know die and grow old together. They had that life for a time, and even that, the fact that even that like sort of you know like the one pure beautiful thing that that Arthur sort of died to protect. Even that is a temporary and fleeting thing. I feel itself goes back into the themes of every aspect of this game, of the outlaw life that's on its way out, of Arthur's life that's on its way out, of Dutch's control over this group of people that's on its way out. Uh, just everything, everything is on a ticking clock, and I that doesn't make it less like real or less valuable or less good. There's no such thing as, as forever, you know? makes it more valuable it has a sense of there's yeah. a sense of permacy in a sense in a in a lack of it and by that i mean there's a mm-hmm. there's a we expect like what in in culture that we get like you know at the end of history or whatever we expect this like sense of either either sort of infantile uh resolution of which you know, plenty of video games kind of get into. It's sort of like it's like the Lifetime movie ending, where you know, 
you know, the, she she gives up her big journalism career to marry a rancher in her parents' hometown that she left because she was smart, and but mm-hmm. he's hot, and they <laughs> get married. Like the stuff my I, I watch all of the movies that I watch. Uh, a lot of them just because it's what my mother is watching and my parents both have like a bullseye for popular culture for white people in the United States. <laughs> like they really do. And so I just watch everything that they've ever watched just because I find it interesting. And this like, there's a way to, there's a, that, that this kind of, I guess what I mean is that like when a story, you know, when you can use a, a prequel, which is a very like, you know, you, you can use a prequel to go, to go back and and give a sense of tense resolution, uh, various like forms of like it has a sense of realism to it. I guess that in the kind of American literature thing that I was coming back to, it always has this. It's grounded in a sense of natural loss while um, attempting to redeem and refound various people. And their relationships and their sort of points of social and cultural expression in different contexts. You you moving on from the sort of stereotypical outlaw West view um, and reality social reality into a post industrial social reality by becoming a liberal sort of family unit and getting into like ranching as a legitimate market based like point into like as a, as an entry into capitalism uh mm. it's like very realistic and like that's what someone who like like yeah it's it's not it's never going to be as cut and dry as that but like that's what someone who was alive during that time and who did that kind of work and had that kind of money and then got stabilized in that kind of way that's what they would be doing like okay well mm. i can't go running around fucking robbing people like that's not going to work anymore. There are federal cops everywhere. There are new types of cops every day, and like it's just not. And it's, I need to stop doing this, or I'm going to die. And I have yeah. obligations and responsibilities. What do I do? Well, I'll just go try ranching and farming, and try and find a quiet plot of land where I can, you know, avoid all of that stuff. But then the tensions of modernity keep spilling in and forcing people's hands. Um, to either neglect, like in the first game, you know, the whole, it's a very like honor, sense of duty kind of thing. Very like, like reifying almost this kind of outlaw Jacksonian, like outlook that sort of like, I mean, it wasn't all, it isn't all zero in on Andrew Jackson, but they Mm -hmm. had this, there is a sort of cultural stereotype of the, you know, independent, self-sufficient, um, pioneering man, masculine figure in American culture that persisted pl- still to this day in some ways, in some really ridiculous, silly, paradoxical ways mostly. But <laughs> I'm a pioneer. I'm an explorer. I'm a human and I'm coming. There's like, there's this attempt to kind of refound oneself and, uh, based off of your contemporary circumstances and then history has a way of coming and making itself known. So you have to, despite pleas from your wife, go and avenge someone. (laughs) Even though it's just like, is that a good idea? It's probably going to get you into a big mess, isn't it? That's how these things usually go in these stories. And well, sure enough, 
it turns into a whole big problem. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. It has, it's realistic. It's realistic in this, this kind of funny ways that I find really, really nice. Yeah. And I think that that brings us to our bastard of the week, which is Micah. <laughs> you motherfucker. <laughs> you little bastard man, Micah. Um, uh, I really liked the, the bit where you go to kill him, basically. Um, because throughout the course of the game, he's kind of been like the devil whispering in Dutch's ear and, and, and having an interestingly bad influence on him, but really right. just sort of feeding into things that are already there in Dutch. Uh, and when you, you know, after a little while, when you go and find him, uh, as John, like at the very, very end of the game, pretty much. Dutch is there, but he's like, it just feels like the life has been sucked out of him. You know, like he barely says anything to you. He just kind of scampers off, I'm pretty sure. Um, like the the super charismatic leader with a silver tongue just feels like he's just fucking gone. He's just he's just been exhausted and drained by this fucking demon presence in Micah, you know? Mm. I found that very interesting. Um I found him a, a really weird I found Micah a really weird character because he's just, I don't know, he's just like cartoonishly like evil in a way that a lot of other people aren't. Like most people in the game feel like really normal people. He's just like this obvious, I guess he's meant to show uh, show you something about Dutch, that Dutch is willing to sort of look the other way about this guy because this guy kind of tells him what he wants to hear and kind of like, you know, feeds his ego a bit and feeds into the, you know, Dutch's worst sort of uh, qualities. Um. And I, I, I don't know, I thought that was an interesting little addition to the game, that in the end, uh, I think you kill Dutch, or I think Dutch kills himself uh, in, in Red Dead 1 at some point. Um, but I think that it's interesting that this game ended with you hunting down fucking Micah, not really so much worrying about Dutch. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, Dutch had this kind of like... It, and My, Dutch and Micah were these sort of like important... Like their their convergence in like I think like Micah saved Dutch's life, um, and these sort of like the way that their characters are kind of like bound together by these either like codes of honor or these various experiences and that sort of a thing means that when they kind of like split apart, it forces it it forces a sense of choice, uh, while still kind of grounding characters in like who they are. And so I like, I think I like that quite a bit. I really would, mm. I would like, if we, if this podcast were to go on for another hour, we could get into <laughs> uh, the fucking lore of the Blackwater Massacre, the, the like, the off-camera event that, like, structures both of these games. There's this, oh, like, yeah. there's this really, like, important, I mean, it's the, it's the meta-history. There's meta-history in this game, and we can historicize the the history in the game uh itself and yeah god we got now i want to now i want to do that we can start a patreon so we can start offering out treats like that because that's that'd be a treat that would be yeah just just a, a secret episode where we just go off about that Oof. lore lore baby lore. maybe we'll do that one day maybe Oof. we will Maybe you, we will. you know what, listener? The only way to make that a reality is to force your friends at gunpoint to listen to this podcast. Uh, yes. If we get enough, if we get enough listeners, 
to justify a Patreon, maybe we start doing little things like that. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. But you and have we, to force them with violence. Yeah. If you, get, you have to get enough guns for all yeah. of your friends. So, you know, three guns, maybe. Mm-hmm. If you're, you know, really, really so, a real social butterfly. Um, <laughs> uh, online friends don't count. No, sadly, uh, they can't hold a gun. No. next to you when you need I, to. I've, tr- I've held a gun to my phone very many, many times. I am an American after all, but uh, it has not resulted in anyone listening to my podcast yet. No. Anyone who interacts <laughs> with me on Twitter should know that I am aiming a gun at my phone the entire time. So watch your fucking self. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta know what you're dealing with. That's what po- yeah. this real posting is. That's right. Just guns. We should probably wrap it up. I feel like we're uh, we're we're about at time now. Um, are there any last things you want to say about Cowboys Two Electric Boogaloo? Just uh, uh, yeehaw! I think yeah, a, 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 a yeehaw, yeehaw. All right, Kyle. Where can the good people at home find you? You can find me at Labor Kyle on Twitter sometimes and YouTube as well. I have videos. I have a couple that like I gotta get my so I just moved and uh I live in a different part of the country now and now my PC won't turn on, which it probably just means something got knocked loose. And so once I mess with that hardware again, I can get back to posting that good content. There will be there'll be Boss Baby. Boss <laughs> Baby is sitting on my hard drive right now. Mostly done. And then there'll be another one uh, on a topic that there'll be more vegetable content that you come to my channel not to watch because no one watches my videos on theories of history. Um, but yeah, Labor Kyle and everything. Kay, where are you online? I'm, uh, where the fuck am I? I don't know. I'm on Twitter, K and Skittles. I'm on YouTube also, K and Skittles. Uh, when this comes out, my video about, uh, Marvel's Falcon and the Winter Soldier should be out. It's a nightmare. Um, so you should watch that. And, uh, I stream, brah. I stream yeah. on the weekends, uh, 7 p.m. Britoid time, uh, Saturday and Sunday. Come on down. We got monster trucks. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. I'm so fucking. It's so warm here, you guys. I'm fucking. I'm done. I'm dead. What? Click, click the links. G- goodbye. Goodbye. All gamers are bastards. Ah, ravioli. Ah, mamma mia.